Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners. And uh, let me start by greeting my guests tonight, reviewing tomorrow's papers or this morning's papers, if you're watching the early morning rerun. We have Diane Spencer. Hello, Diane. Hello. And plugging his book, we have Simon Fanshawe. And Simon, why don't we open the show with a plug of your book? Well, that's very kind of you. It's called The Power of Difference, and it's all about the power of difference, how that's an essential part of being human, and it is precisely the fact that we're all different is the only thing we've got in common and what that means for our life and our work. And it's quite jolly. It's got jokes in it and it's got stories and then it's got some research and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, people are abject with gratitude that I've written it, Dominic. Uh, I, 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 gratitude was exactly the word that sprang to mind. <laughs> it's called and The Power of Difference, available at £14 and a penny, I think. For bargain. And if, bargain. Uh, if any uh, youngsters are in watching and want to learn how to plug a book quickly, there was a masterclass <laughs> in book pluggery. And now, uh, Diane, have you read this great opus? Well, I'm waiting for the audiobook to come out because I'm a massive audiobook fan. So um, I'm waiting for you to accompany me on some kind of long car journey. Well, I'll can... dedicate it to you. Oh, bless and you. What you saw there, ladies and gentlemen, was a masterclass in a tactical play on why we haven't read the book. And I, too, <laughs> am waiting for the audio book. <laughs> yes, yes. I shall be back when I've done the audio book and we'll just play that to you. Um, There's right, no obligation next... to buy it, by the way. Uh, well, I should, but there will I, be a, but there be a level of social exclusion you if you read? fail. Well, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I won't be able to hold my high, head in decent company anymore. Exactly. Um, have you, are you going to read the audiobook yourself? I'd love to, actually. I think it'd be fun, although I can't bear sure. the idea of spending hours and hours and hours in my own company, which is effectively what you're doing. Well, You'll think, start think of the poor listeners' lives. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> let's uh, crack on with the headlines, and um, we start with the Daily Mail today, which has Palace Shock at Harry... <laughs> Duke of Delusion. Uh, Prince Harry was last night accused of royal by royal staff of breath, breathtaking arrogance. There's also uh, a picture of the Queen there with two horses that look like they've just walked off the set of Lord of the Rings. We move on to the Telegraph. There's the same picture of the Queen with those magnificent white... What I don't even know what they are. They look like Shire horses, but I guess they won't be. I think the Queen's too grand for Shire horses. Putin tests world's deadliest weapon... Satan 2 nuclear missile carries a dozen warheads and can strike anywhere in the world. We'll be, we'll be looking at that story. And Johnson seeks to delay vote on Partygate. On to the Independent, which has a picture of Emmanuel Macron. And they don't say statist centrist Emmanuel Macron. They say Emmanuel Macron faces far-right rival Marine Le Pen. Uh, there's a picture of the both of them in Le Débat. And there's also Afghans who helped UK still stranded in danger. On to The Guardian. Johnson fails to block party gate inquiry as backbenchers mutiny. There's the Queen again with her horses. 
And there's also Netflix $55 billion slump as viewers switch off. We'll be looking at that story and last hours for Ukraine forces. In Mariupol, onto the FT. Netflix battered a subscriber plunge shock streaming market. Two million set to ditch service. Decade-long rise reverses. News wipes nearly 40% of value. Yes, it's an extraordinary fall. If you take it from the, from the peak, it's actually near a 70% of its value that Netflix has lost. Um, Wimbledon calls time on Russian and Belarusian players over Ukraine war. The Mirror and Are You Coming or Not Then? Which is a <coughs> reference to whether um, Prince Harry is coming to the party with just six weeks to go. Harry won't commit to pre um, Queen's party. The Times. <laughs> Uh, children's czar calls off a ban on smacking. We'll be covering that story. Harry snubs Charles in TV interview. And there is the Queen and them, their horses. Finally, the Express. Uh, the horses are there again. Happy 96th birthday, Mom, And Prince Harry's ultimate royal snub. Can and I just the, ask? No. What are the horses? We are going to find out in a second when I have time to look at the uh, horses in more detail. Those are the headlines. <laughs> <laughs>very rude of me Simon to say no at that point but we're at the point we weren't we weren't on screen and we were looking at the headlines and so uh, it was important I said those are the headlines and then we crack on well fine I, I wouldn't want to want to interrupt your television grammar well <laughs> it, it, precisely uh, and grammar is very important now let's start we'll find out what these ho horses are shortly fell ponies is what they are there we go um, but before we do the fell pony story we have Diane that be fallen ponies. No. Oh, okay. Fell ponies, but I take I, a very good uh, little little wordplay there. Quip for the grammatically aware. Um, uh, <laughs> Diane, if I if he ever lets me get there, I will hand <laughs> it over to you and the Times and this story on the children's saw uh, calls for ban on smacking. Yes. So. Um... Uh, tomorrow, Dame Rachel uh, D'Souza, the Children's Commissioner, is going to urge ministers uh, in England and Northern Ireland that we should ban smacking completely. You see, uh, Wales and Scotland already have a ban on smacking and we don't. And um, although we have something in law which seems a bit sort of wibbly-wobbly and sort of a bit murky, it's all about a reasonable punishment. But... What is not then given to the children is the same protection, the same legal protection that an adult would get if they were attacked. Does that make sense? It does make perfect sense. So that's why they want to sort of uh, bring this in. And I think it's, um, I think it's very interesting. Uh, she, th this Times article has, is very one-sided if you read it. It is. This person is fully... I mean, it fully reads like an opinion piece more than a... It really does. It, it's sort of... It's, uh, even though it's on the front page, it really reads like th this person... It was Lucy Fisher, wasn't it? Well, there's the news story. I think this is the editorial, but I mean, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, but it really, re yeah. they, they've got a very strong opinion. Very strong and they think, view. finally, this is the, they should they should have brought this in ages ago. This is absolutely terrible, um, and I'm against any form of violence against children. Which, 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 of course, you know, you are. But I think that what's important is support for parents because uh, I think it's important that parents kind of get together and help each other and sort of even groups like Mumsnet and things like that, where they sort of say, because sometimes you'll have a child that's out of control 
and you'll want to just wallop them because you'll be like, I'm at the end of my tether. Well, yeah, I, I, but discussing techniques would be better and learning from each other to how to... Yeah, you know. my kids might tell a rather different story, but I don't think I ever smacked them. And I think I was probably smacked once or twice. I was. But more, I would say, I don't even know what the word is, gently coughed rather than actually smacked. But the, I guess it's all... You know, it depends how much force. And then maybe parents will say, well, we need to have the the option to smack or the threat of smacking, even if we don't actually want to smack, because otherwise we have we carry less authority and we carry less discipline. Where, where do you stand on this, Simon? The only time I was ever smacked once by my father uh, was the, a knot in the wood in the floor, you know, a sort of hole emerged, you know. And I decided to pour all my mother's makeup and put two of her, uh, several of her earrings down there. And to the day she died, she had one of a pair of pearl earrings that she occasionally would show me and say, do you remember when I lost the other one? And on the... What was the, what was worse, the guilt trip or the smack? Well, the, 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 the smack was pretty, pretty, uh, I don't remember it, but I remember the fact that it happened, if you like. But the worst That's thing about it was... a lack of consciousness. Yes, well, <laughs> and the, the plaster and the room downstairs went pink and they had to completely do redo the ceiling. So I, I, I am by and large think that this is probably about protecting kids from parents not who are doing, because I think what you say is very sensible, but it's probably about protecting kids from parents not who are the occasional mm -hmm. smack or whatever. It's probably about, in the end, people, adults who abuse this in relation to kids and continue to smack them. And there's no doubt about it that it neither works and it damages kids. My brother had it, and it was from not from parents, from a teacher. Appalling. Mm. So Thursday's son and Vladimir Putin has been testing out the, um, the amazing name, the Satan II nuclear missile. And Simon, this is yours and scary stuff. Why do people... Satan II? What? I mean, really? Who called it Satan too? I mean, somebody did, and it being in the sun, I wouldn't be at all surprised, but it wasn't the sun that called it Satan too. But it, this thing goes at an incredible speed. And so what I didn't realise until I read the story more carefully was that Satan too is just the missile, and the missile then carries the nuclear warheads. Mm -hmm. So it drops them, and it can carry 12, and apparently if it drops them, it could destroy something as big as France. This would be a, Normally it's Wales, but this but, is France. Well, this so is France. Big. This could be a bad thing. Uh, it travels... It flies, yeah. The one that they launched travelled 3,600 3, miles in around 15 minutes, which frankly puts my car into the shade, mm -hmm. you know, the 0 to 60 thing. But the thing Even that gets plane, me... your Simon. The thing that... My plane. The thing that really gets me, though, was that the Russian defence ministry, you know, was kind of going, well, actually, you know, you'll find that our energy... And this is so great. Thanks to the energy mass characteristics of the missile, the range of its combat equipment, blah, 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 and its warheads and types, including hypersonic gliders. Yeah. And what this reminded me of was those ludicrous moisturiser ads that you get on the television <laughs> that have things like hyperuronic you know, hyper acid. Hyaluronic acid. Hyaluronic. Well done. You know all that. You probably buy the stuff. Hyaluronic. And then bioferment moisture surge <laughs> and such like. And I just thought, this guy from Russia sounds like he's just making stuff up in order to go, we've got this really big missile and it's really, really dangerous. And actually what lies behind this is terrifying. Yeah. I'll say... That, just to put that number, 3,600 miles, into some kind of context, it is the length of Russia. 
Yes. yes. Which is pretty big. Diane, what are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, it is mildly worrying that uh, an unstable man, Putin, who um, is hiding multiple health complaints uh, from his public and is followed around by a neurosurgeon. <laughs> great, because we all need one of them, uh, has got this uh, weapon. Um, uh, it's, it's a shame that, you know, um, natural causes won't hurry up and take him and God strike him down. But apparently God's reading our immigration policies instead. Um, I think what's important is that um, nobody panics. It is a hypersonic missile, so it is very good at de detecting, uh, evading sort of uh, anti-missile uh, things. Very worrying. Um, I just, we just have to hope that there are people on his inner circle who recognise that destroying part of the planet the size of France is not just going to destroy mm. France, it's going yeah. to have a knock-on effect to the rest of the planet. And he also I, does, he does this thing the whole time too, where he talks about this is a, a, re a response to those who would, you know, invade and attack Russia. You go... No, love, I think you're attacking somewhere else at yeah. the moment. I think you've kind of projection, yes? Well, the chap Hello, I follow Freud. on Twitter, so it must be true, but he's, he's brilliant on all this stuff, says that Putin doesn't have control of the button, so... Oh, good. That's good to know. Right, the Times... You wouldn't, to be honest, you wouldn't give him control of the television remote, would you? Well, <laughs> the Times is next, and it would seem that the Prime Minister and the Archbishop of Canterbury are not seeing eye to eye, Diane. No, we've got a very unholy trifecta going on. So the church has accused Boris Johnson of a disgraceful slur on uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, uh, because he slagged off the immigration policy saying, I've got God's ear, mate, and God's not impressed with you. This is not on. And uh, Boris, who had just issued his non-pology to the Houses of Parliament, uh, then so it's trying to muddy the waters. He's sort of throwing things in the way, like smoke grenades, because like anybody uh, who doesn't apologise properly, instead of facing up to what he's done, he's trying to sort of deflect. So he tried to sort of swap it onto uh, the Archbishop's criticism of uh, the Rwandan policy and the church is piling all onto this. You've, and then for some reason it's shifted onto the BBC's coverage of Ukraine because you've got Keir Starmer trying to attack him at all angles. Basically, it, it's just an old big mess. And um, this is why Easter needs chocolate and daffodils and bunny <laughs> rabbits because <laughs> I tell you what, these Easter messages all about sort of being uh, un about uh, the, d oh, I can't remember what they said. It was something, it was a D word, something that they said about the, um, sorry, the um, the thing that they said about the Rwandan thing. What did they say? They said it was disgraceful. They said it was an act against God. Yeah, that's why we need... Diabolic, and perhaps. Diabolic. I don't there know. we go. Right, we move on to Thursday's Telegraph and the latest developments sorry. in the Julian Assange saga. Simon, Julian Assange, hero or villain? Assange, 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 Assange. Assange. Look, I, I think what's difficult about Julian Assange is that he's clearly, in what I've read about him, just ghastly. He's oh, just, my God, did you read all the things he did in the Ecuadorian embassy? All that stuff. I'm, oh. I'm, he's the sort of person my mother would just say, darling, he's simply ghastly, don't, don't get involved. So, on that <laughs> level, but you can't condemn someone for doing something simply because they're ghastly. So, what we have to think is, what did he do? What he did was he 
got access to, for, in whatever way, a vast cache of information, which he released in an unedited way. A load of that information uncovered behaviour by the states, as it happened, but which I'm sure there are other countries... considerably more ghastly than he is. Which is considerably more ghastly than he is, and clearly exposed a series of practices which should have been exposed. That's absolutely fine. But it also exposed a whole bunch of other stuff, although people are saying, well, actually, no one died as a result of it. I think the big issue that lies behind this, which is really difficult for us to decide, is that actually, if we live in a world where nation states guard their own security, we guard our security, actually, the way that's supposed to work is that actually government needs to have some secrets. It needs sometimes not to tell the whole truth. For instance, no politician should stand up in parliament and risk a devaluation of the currency, for instance, and so on and so forth. And in, and in terms of defence, you need to keep things secret. However, that has to be accompanied by accountability. And the problem with this is that if you just release information like that, you break that level of trust. Equally, if you behave like the current Prime Minister and break the level of trust that people have in Parliament, people don't trust the scrutiny. So the the big issue for me that underlies this is that what Assange has done is broken trust, exposed something, but the response is not rebuilding that trust that's been broken. OK, Diane, very quickly, your views on this. I would not want Pretty Patel deciding my fate. If she was deciding my fate, I would buy a helmet. I said this on Saturday, but I want to repeat Alexi Sale's great remark about Pretty Patel. He said she's the sort of person who would turn off somebody's life support machine in order to charge her phone. <laughs> well, uh... <laughs> I'm not sure that's quite right, but give him the best. I think you'll find it's a joke, Dominic. I was Dominic. going to say <laughs> hyperbole. Right, Thursday's Guardian next and Prince Harry's ongoing tantrum over having to pay for his own security, Diane. OK, so uh, Prince Harry has said he wants to protect the Queen and ensure the right people are around her. Now, um, she always has the right people around her, mate. She always does. Uh, I'm not sure. You see, he's in this argument about how he should have the same level of protection he had when he was a, a working royal. But now he's just a bloke and he's going to go and meet his nan. He's like, oh, no, she's in danger now. Yeah, she's only in danger if Meghan loses it and like throws a croissant at her or something or an avocado. It's like the Queen's still going to have all of her security, Harry. You don't need to worry about it. She meets normal people all the time. You're now a normal person. She will be fine. And what I don't like about this is that I feel that Harry is holding the grandkids hostage from his, his grand going, well, you know, Archie and Lilibet could come over if we had proper security. And it's like, don't be like that. Grow up, bring the kids over, face up to what you've done and bring your Nana some flowers and chocolates. Welcome back to Headliners. I'm Dominic Frisby and with me tonight, looking at tomorrow's papers, we have Diane Spencer and Simon Fanshaw. And I will let you, dear viewer, work out who is who. And so we go to The Guardian and Thursday's... Uh, sorry, we don't. We go to The Times, Thursday's Times. And Netflix stock has been tanking. And Elon Musk... The man with the biggest ego in the world has been explaining why, Simon. 
Well, the headline says Elon Musk claims, quote, woke virus has made Netflix unwatchable. Could we find a new word, please? I am bored with the word woke. It's now used. I thought you were going to say virus. No, I'm, I'm bored with virus, too. <laughs> but woke is just being used as everything. You know, if you dare to suggest that, you know, young black men are not all gangsters and drug dealers, woke! You know, or all gay men are not sissies or just camp best friends, woke! You know, I'm really bored with it. It's become a kind of catch-all now and a sort of, it's become a big net, you know. What he's saying here is that, and I don't think it's true, I had a quick look at the Netflix programme. I was thinking, what have I watched on Netflix recently? I've watched uh, uh, all sorts of things, all sorts of documentaries. I don't think that he's, I think he's trying to attract attention. And it's what's interesting too, is that if you look at, it's only two, they've lost 200,000 subscribers in the last quarter. They've got 221 million subscribers. They've lost 0.09% of their subscribers. So what is interesting about the story is why has the stock price crashed so badly? What's he doing in order to draw attention to that? And he's clearly in a mood to buy at the moment. So you begin to think to yourself, no. is this a market play? No, no, yeah. no. I'm going to defend Elon Musk on this. Oh, I'm not attacking I, I him. I'm no, merely no, saying that I that's... Think he's, I, I, I think net, if you can play Netflix to something, you know, to the BBC, for example, it is not as bad. Um, but when he says something like, can they just make sci-fi that's mostly about sci-fi? Well, see, I don't watch sci-fi because well, I think it's silly. there you go. So you're, 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 you're reviewing Netflix on the basis of its documentaries. No, He's and Bridgerton and, you know, yeah. all sorts but of I things mean, that I watch you on know, Netflix. Is, he does Grace have a point, and Frankie. but his point is common to pretty much all TV and it, it sort of no longer becomes what it's about. Mm. But in the case of... Netflix, the real driver, there's been two things that have driven the stock price down. One is tech generally has sold off over the past year, had a massive boom in the lockdown because everyone was turning to yeah. Netflix, Amazon and so on. But the real problem with Netflix is it's lost its monopoly. So there's, you've now got Disney and Amazon Yeah, Prime but it's still almost twice the size of Disney in terms of well, subscribers. Mm, They've yeah, got 120. They've got 129. Netflix has got 221 million. Yeah, but Netflix is falling. Disney's programs have been better. It's a big challenger. And remember, when in the stock market, people, I'm not defending or attacking yeah, Netflix. I know, but in the I stock nearly... market, people will. Uh, they stuff gets priced in, so they think Netflix is declining. Disney's yes. on the rise. So it's not today's price. It's you know, I know, it's but I just think I'm, I'm, what all I'm saying is it strikes me that it's an exaggeration that the market is operating. And, a, and I appreciate what you're saying. Yeah. I'm not taking a side on this. I'm just fed up with this kind of woke, woke, woke. Could we please find another word which doesn't suggest that the minute you depart from some stereotype, apparently you veered off into the kind of mad, crazy world of social justice warriors. I take your point. I can't stand the word and I very rarely use it. But in this case, Elon Musk is right. Diane, what are you You've obviously got an obsession with well, a secret I'm... love of Elon Musk. No, I don't. I've blocked him on Twitter. I can't bear him. But in this case, he's right. Diane, I am a sci-fi fan. Yeah. And I don't like it when sci-fi is not about sci-fi. Sci-fi is about us as a group and we go out and we explore. And it, and it is about love and it is about journeys and things like that. But sometimes sci-fi can get hijacked by a soap opera template or it can get hijacked by an action template and you can lose that, in, that, that thing that makes it proper science fiction. And um, I just think 
that he actually watched Star Trek Discovery because that's the brand new uh, Star Trek. And I'll tell you what, oh my gosh, there's, it, is, it is the biggest rainbow you've ever seen of everything because it's but Star Trek. But so is the original Star Trek. Yes, it Chekhov is, because they always go forward. They always go so forward. But it got, initially when it went on screen, it got a lot of people going, oh my God, like everybody just went, what is this? Like there's a, there's a dead zombie boyfriend made of mushrooms. It's all just... It's bizarre. Watching you two is like watching two Masons talk in some <laughs> peculiar language. TV needs a good new fantasy series, that is for sure. Now, Apple's new child safety features in its messages, Diane. Oh, yes. So, um, Apple are going to uh, bring out safety fit features which will scan messages for nudity. And they're going to put it on uh, UK iPhones. You see, for too long, children have been subjected to ducks that only wear t-shirts and they waddle around with their bottoms <laughs> out and mouses only wearing trousers waddling around with their tops out and there's penguins and pigs and they're all naked. Well, finally, this is going to be pixelated over. But in all seriousness, <laughs> um, this is a wonderful safety feature, in my personal opinion, um, because if you were going to make a toy for a child, you wouldn't make that toy out of razor blades and uh, exposed electrical items, would you? You would make it out of soft curved items, you would make it very child friendly. A mobile phone should be the same. A mobile phone should have child safety features and this is a great one. So um, uh, the phone will not send any of your images to Apple, so worry ye not, um, but it will take the image, have a wee look, see if it thinks it's a naked person or not, and if it is, it's going to blur it and give the child options mm -hmm. to talk to an adult, maybe check, and it also works with the photo sending things out. For me, I think this is a great step of big tech trying to have some responsibility. And also what's interesting about it too is that the, originally the idea was that the phone could then be uh, set to uh, alert the parents. Mm. And they've taken that out. What I like, because I agree with you totally, um, but what I like about it is this idea that actually it's putting the responsibility back on the kids. It's saying to the kids, reflect about this, hang on a second, think about this, you could do X, Y or Z. That feels to me like something which is giving kids some autonomy and actually saying to them, Let's take responsibility. Right, here's an interesting moral quandary from the mirror. The man who made an offensive video about Grenville Tower has been given a suspended prison sentence, Simon. Yes, the mirror, man who laughed as he filmed burning Grenville Tower model narrowly avoids jail. Yeah, what they did was they made a model, a cardboard model of the Grenville Tower. They threw it on a bonfire, watched it burn and shouted out things like, Who's jumping? That's what happens when you don't pay the rent. Stay in your flats. And you do think there's a level of insensitivity to that, which is quite staggering. It's a bit like saying to Jackie Kennedy, do you remember where you were when Kennedy was shot? I mean, there is an absolute level, which I've, I mean, I, I just can't bear it. I just cannot believe that. Now, to be but fair to him, to be fair to him, yeah. he did say, it was a moment of complete stupidity and it was terribly and definitely offensive to people and it was one of those stupid moments. So, well done him for actually apologising, but, I mean, what a terrible thing to do. Yes, it was a terrible thing to do, utterly tasteless, and he's apologised and, Christ, crikey, the man must have suffered a lot, um, given the, the outrage. That's yeah, not as much as the 78 people who died. Of course not.
but that the outrage, you know, what was intended to be a stupid joke has provoked some... Well, part of the problem is, of course, these things get amplified. Should this be a matter for the police? Should this man... It'd be a possibility that this guy gets prosecuted. Well, the question is... Well, yeah, I mean... The the issue is because he made a video and then sent the video to somebody else. Yeah, that's the problem. once you've sent it to somebody else, he has (coughs) lost control over it. Yeah, but that's the problem, is that we've got this constant problem at the moment, haven't we, about this notion of what publishing means. At the moment, what... what, In the old days... The old days, I sound like... Back in the old days. There was a... You know, before social media, publishing something was a much more difficult... conscious act. Whereas now it's a very, very easy thing to do and the way in which it spreads. And so we haven't yet got a grip, have we, on what damage that publishing is doing. So actually, I think he should be published because he did take something and he did amplify it. If they'd just done it in their garden, it would have been horrible, but he amplified it and chose so to do. I'm not defending the joke. But I think no, I know. Dodgy. I hear what you're saying. I, we're on dodgy ground. But what do we do if if you publish things which are do? I mean, it, we're back to do we have total freedom of speech to publish anything, no matter what? And the answer is we do limit ourselves. We limit what we say and do, and so publishing in some ways has to be accountable. I think to matters of public taste. Okay, more jokes going wrong in the Independent, Diane, and this one a Madeleine McCann joke. And if you've got something to say about the last one. Crowbar it in here. No problem. Uh, well, the last one, I'll simply say it was not a joke. Um, it, <laughs> I would have classed it as hate speech and racism. So, therefore, I, in my personal opinion, uh, bec- it did not fulfill the requirements for a joke. It was intended as a joke. Ah, but it didn't fulfill one, one, the technical requirements. Okay, but one person... Yeah. You know, one person's humour is another person's hate speech. Yeah, but we all know that actually intention doesn't make a joke. What yeah. makes a joke is laughter. So this advert uh, for a well, burger fan was The original banned. audience did I think laugh. you'll find us a Sorry, woman talking. <laughs> Will you stop it, Simon? Off you go, Diane. So an advert for a burger van has been banned because it jokes about Madeleine McCann. Now, um, what, what I think is quite interesting about this is um, obviously the, the two stories are connected. You see, they, they had a picture of Kate McCann and they had the text stating, with burgers this good, you'll leave your kids at home. What's the worst that could happen? Now, that as a, the sentence itself, let's take that sentence, that is actually a setup for a joke. And that is an appropriate setup for a joke. And you could have a great picture where um, you have the kids like spray painting the wall. You could have the dog ripping the sofa apart. You could have chaos inside the house and the mum outside enjoying the juicy burger. She's not gonna go in the house because the burger's so good. That's when the advert becomes funny. But instead what they did was they did something very lazy, something very insensitive and something that I think is full of bad taste. Hmm. And they actually used a picture of Kate McCann and Madeline, and they had a picture of a man running off with, with the child. And they sort of, they circulated this. Now, I think it's bad taste for many reasons, but one key reason is they clearly used an image without any consent. I cannot believe it for one second that, that Kate McCann was even asked whether her image could be used to promote their products. But um, also, it's, what, and I'm, what I'm glad about is this is a very bad taste advert. And why would you have a bad taste for food? Because when I see a bad taste, it literally gives you, it gives you a bad taste. You feel a bit sick. You don't like it. And I'm, I'm kind of glad because I hope people looked at the advert and they felt sick. 
and I hope that nobody buys their burgers. And I'm not mentioning which company it was, <laughs> but I'm sure that no. they're because I'm not going to give them. No, the I agree time. with you. There's a kind of confusion, isn't there, here between the idea of shock and the idea of free speech. You know, that's what lies behind this. There's some idea in there that I can say what I like and the fact that it's bad taste and shocking and horrible in a peculiar kind of converse way somehow justifies it. And I find that it's like, otherwise I can't work out why they would do it. They must have thought that it had some kind of shock value and therefore some kind of inherent good. And I just thought, why are you doing this? They, they've never properly died in a comedy club and then had to learn how to moderate <laughs> yes. their comedy. It's National Insensitivity Week, isn't it? Is it? Well, clearly, <laughs> after those two stories. Welcome back to Headliners. This is part three when we cover all the weird stories. I'm Dominic Frisbee. With me are Diane Spencer and Simon Fanshawe. And we're going to start with not such a weird story, a French uh, study... Uh, from uh, reported in the mail has found that Muslim girls in France get better grades and integrate more as a result of the ban on wearing veils. Simon, why didn't you explain? Well, just the context of that. So 2004, uh, the French banned the wearing of veils by girls in schools, not in universities, by the way, and not in public places by adults, but girls in schools. And what they, they didn't ban the veil. What they did was they banned ostentatious religious signs, which included, therefore, the Sikh turban, a cross, um, and also uh, uh, um, the, the, the Jewish kippah. So... What you've got here is a clash. You couldn't have a necklace with a cross on it. You couldn't have a necklace with a cross on it unless it was discreet. There was this peculiar distinction between ostentatious and discreet. But the veil is where it got focused. So what you've got here is you've got a, a, a commitment by the French state to this idea, which dates from the early 20th century, which is secularism. And it's a profoundly powerful part of the notion of the republic. It's this idea that we are all French. There are no subdivisions. So, for instance, in France, you cannot, in my business, diverse, you can't collect uh, um, religious or ethnic uh, data, for instance, on your employees. You're not allowed. So the secularism is really sort of sewn into the French state. On the other side, then, you've got religious freedom, this idea of complete religious freedom. And it doesn't divide right or left, actually, who takes what side in this debate. It's a profound debate in, 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 in France. What is interesting about it, though, is that um, it's, it's got so many roots because it's got a root in colonialism, of course, because the French were involved in, you know, Algiers primarily and Tunisia also. Now, in Tunisia, actually, they also, there are campaigns against women wearing the veil. In Algeria, there are campaigns against women wearing the veil. That's interesting. But also the notion of the veil is connected with colonialism and the resistance to colonialism and the refusal, if you like, to integrate. So you've got this whole dynamic around integration and assimilation. And the French, by and large, uh, like the notion of assimilation far more powerfully than we do. Tell us about the study. So the study says that there's an increase in 13% um, more likely uh, 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 to graduate from high school than their non-Muslim peers. That's the group of, of young Muslim girls who, who didn't wear the veil. And that compares with 7% of those girls who did wear the veil. So there's a big educational attainment gap here. 
But what they don't, what we don't know is what the girl's attitude was towards wearing the veil in the first place. So what mm. we don't know is whether the girls wanted to wear the veil and then had it taken off them, or actually they didn't want to wear it in the first place. So there's a complicated story that underlies this, which mm. actually, in a sense, this headline, and it doesn't surprise me that they integrated better because they were separated less well, because the veil separates you off. I was going to say the veil is by definition... But by the way, we're talking, no, we're talking the hijab. We're not talking the niqab here. We're, I mean, obviously, if it was the niqab, but the great bulk, of course, of people who wear, young girls are wearing the, the, the hijab. Good stuff. Right, let us turn next, Diane. We are going to cut, we're going to skip the smartphone story for, for a moment and come back to it. But, Diane, we're going to do degree grade matters more than university so that you have a chance to speak. Oh, Okay, lovely. So, um, yes, this is a story by The Guardian. And, yes, um, the, your degree grade that you end up with matters more than the reputation of the university at which you got it. So this is a report by the Institute of Fiscal Studies, and they have discovered that uh, when you get uh, a first or, or a 2-1 uh, at a university, you're more likely to be paid more and get uh, a higher-earning job than if you get a 2-2 or something else. But um, this is true whether you go to one of these selective posh universities or not. So if you go to sort of somewhere like Oxford or Cambridge, you know, one of the big hitters, and uh, which is very hard to get into, and you get in and you get a 2-2, you could still end up getting less cash and a less well-paying job, like something like 30% less. Yeah than if you sort of grab a degree in Victoria and David Beckham studies from Plymouth, but you get a first. <laughs> the, so, that's ooh. the implication. What annoyed me about the story is that it sort of justifies, um, it sort of encourages people to go to a less celebrated, a less famous university. Um, and the point is you don't know what degree you're going to get before you go to university. That A lot of that is depends on how, how hard you work when you get there and so on and so forth. Go on, Simon. Well, I was going to say, no, I was not going to argue with you. I'm going to just, I'm going to say something. I was chairman of Sussex University for six yeah. years. And, you know, universities perform very different functions for different people. So if you go to a university like, for instance, Derby or one of those universities in the Midlands, one of the smaller universities, a post-92 universities, typically what will happen is that you'll live closer there, you'll end up working there, and you'll have actually be part of, much more part of a regional economy than if you go, say, to Oxford and Cambridge, where every Everybody comes in from Oxford Cambridge all over and then they go out again. So all I'm saying is that those universities perform quite different functions for different kids. So my argument has always been choose the university that will work for you. Mm. Oh, definitely. Wise words. Right. We're <laughs> going to do this story on mobile phones next. Spending too much time on your mobile phone. Um, and if you spend less time, your life improves, apparently, according Daily to... Daily Mail headline. Cutting your smartphone use by just an hour a day makes you less anxious, more satisfied with life and more likely to exercise, a study has found. Could we just... Wait, one thing about mobile phones. Could people stop walking down the street and looking at their mobile mobile phones and bumping into me. Could that happen, please? That would make my life happier. So my, my argument would be it's other people spending less time on their mobile phones <laughs> in the street, which would improve my life. That would be my view. I, I do get my little report at the end of the week. Um, you know, do you not get a report from yes. your phone and it tells you how much time you've spent on it? And it's oh. Sort of, oh, oh, what's awful? That's, that's what's happen. ghastly about these it's phones. Like is three and a half hours a day. I'm on mine. It's but what's ghastly about these phones is they know more about me than I do. You know, have you know, have you ever put? Have, have you if you know a couple, 
you know, and they split up and you put their address then separately into the phone. You can hear the phone going, ah, oh, I didn't think it would last. <laughs> That's you updating the ringtone. <laughs> He's calling, run! He's Don't pick up! Don't pick up! I tell you, how many times have you written an email uh, or even sent, drafted a text message? Uh, maybe a, you, somebody's given you the hump and you've, you've started, you've drafted an angry email or whatever, and then you thought to yourself, actually, do you know what? I'm not going to send that. And you, you do the email equivalent of tearing it up. And so that is your darkest thoughts, perhaps, that you haven't uttered. But your phone knows them because you've, you've typed them into your phone. I'm, so it knows the dark thoughts that you had but didn't say. It does. It's, you move house, they go, oh, well, I thought they're going up in the world. Well, just don't <laughs> talk out loud too much, because I've noticed that when I talk a little bit too much near my phone, it's, it's suddenly all the adverts change. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll say. I've got all these listening. It's <laughs> listening to every word. Right. Thursday's Telegraph and Stop and Search for Cannabis based on when people smell of cannabis is illegal, apparently, Simon. No, it should be illegal. So, so the IOPC, which is the police kind of watchdog, says that it should be illegal just to arrest, stop people on the smell. And that seems to be entirely reasonable. It's not smoking cannabis that's the problem. It's selling it that's the problem. And if they really want... I mean, two things I would say about this. One is 700,000 people were stopped in up to March 2021, OK, by police in England and Wales. Less than 23% of those people, those searches resulted in any further action. That is worse than my dating history before I got married. That is a very, very poor hit rate. And the second thing is, if they really want to stop is people... It, is it that poor a hit rate? Well, I think it's appalling, but if they really want to stop people... Lots of meals uh, for one. Number one, num number one is people who've got ghastly aftershave and number people who s smoke cigarettes. That's what they should be stopping getting on trains and stuff like that. These dogs, they should be sniffing around for people who do that and people whose clothes are damp. My view is that cannabis should be legal, so the whole thing is stupid anyway. But in any case, if somebody stinks of weed, then and cannabis is illegal, it's not unreasonable to stop and search him. No, because possession is not the point it's dealing. In the year to March 2021, black people were seven times more likely to be stopped by white people and Asian people two and a half times more likely. There you go. Stats. Right, the Telegraph now and Diane, the truffle-hunting, gold-digging <laughs> digging puppy. So, oh, this is a lovely story. So, um, Ollie, a Legotto Romagnolo... Romagnolo. Uh, Romagnolo is a truffle-hunting puppy and he actually found buried treasure on his first walk and he unearthed gold coins. He's a gold-digging puppy. So, um, the breed, apparently... Um, 15 gold sovereigns. 15? And they have been valued at £5,943. And the owner is absolutely thrilled because he's like, well, I paid two grand for the puppy itself. And I've already got my investment back. Um, should just say to two people... Two grand for a puppy, blind. Two grand, yeah, but apparently this gentleman, Mr Clark, he said that he has allergies to certain animals. So um, he said that he had to be very selective in what puppy he bought. So he bought a puppy that hunts for treasure in the form of gold or truffles. That's a very specific allergy, isn't it? <laughs> I'm allergic to all the poor dogs Do that don't find anything good. Do you know how much uh, 15 gold sovereigns used to be worth? Tell me. 15 pounds. 
No. Sovereign's the old pound coin. Yes. Well, I knew that. That's like... Well, uh, we're not going to go into this. Yeah, of course, it gives you an idea. Dominic's, <laughs> old, <laughs> Dominic's old enough to remember. If £15 <laughs> is uh, now £6,000, it just gives you an idea of how much the... And I say, you, you say the sovereign pound. is the old pound. It, wouldn't it be true that the Queen is the old sovereign? Very true. Oh. The Guardian now and right to Rome, something I've never fully understood. I'm not sure anyone does, but perhaps you can explain it to us, Simon. Fears over the right to Rome in England as ministers wind up review. They had a review and they were the, rev and the review is on the right to Rome. What I Here's what interesting thing. 92% of land in England is privately owned. I didn't know it was that much. It was this review was supposed to be carried out by somebody called Lord Agnew. And who comes through, he's Lord Agnew of Alton, which is in Norfolk, which has lots and lots of privately owned land. But here's the thing about this bloke. I'm not surprised they wound up Lord Agnew's review, because you may remember that sometime back, I January 2022, I this January, Lord Agnew resigned from the government. And he resigned from the government because he was shocked at the way in which the business bounce back scheme was being run. And there were fraudulent, I can't say it, fraudulent claims. And he said that he was resigning because of a combination of arrogance, indolence and ignorance was freezing the government machine and he accused the government of schoolboy errors. And then he said this brilliant thing, he said, but that's not an attack on the Prime Minister. And you think, I wonder why they round up the review. Wow. Um, any thoughts on Right to Rome? Um, well, I think it's interesting that these places get public money, but there is no public access. That yeah. makes me cross. Yeah, so I think if you're getting public money to maintain your land, then maybe let people walk along it and make sure you put litter bins in, because what I have noticed is that some people aren't great at dealing with their litter. And actually, we should roam properly. Yeah, we? A, we should roam properly, and that's a good idea. It is, but there's a there's a lot of people. There's a, there's another side to it where the landowners have public paths or whatever through their land, and people don't behave well on their land and create all sorts of problems. And it's it's like a, so many of these issues. It's not quite as I love that sign. Newspaper would have it, have you believe? What's there's a lovely sign in my parents' house in Wiltshire. I think it got quite copied, but it was trespassers will be surprised by the consequences of their actions. There we go. <laughs> right, the Mail Now and capital letters in the title: insect populations have halved. Uh, in some parts of the world, <laughs> Diane. Yes, so warming climate and intensive agriculture have um, continued this insect apocalypse. And some of the bug populations have halved in the tropical parts of the world. Now, uh, this is uh, from the researchers from the University College London, and they've studied records of nearly 20,000 insect species over 20 years. And um, obviously, insects are incredibly important because they uh, pollinate things. They um, are eaten by sort of a select group of mammals, which are then eaten and eaten and eaten. And um, it, they've found that uh, it's really the natural habitats. Once the natural habitats are given over to agriculture, there's massive decimations in the insect population, which is going to have a knock-on effect. Yeah, it's as though they need a study to tell you that monocultural fields don't provide the necessary variety. You know, they kill diversity. It's just so obvious. I don't know, they know why they need a study to tell you that. It is obvious, but I think that until you have a study on this scale and you have a study yeah. done by a reputable... Um, institution that perhaps you can't 
influence government policy, which you may need to do. Um, but what is interesting to me, which I thought was very interesting in this particular article in the Daily Mail, is the connection between the temperature of the earth and malaria. Um, I found that very interesting. Or is that in the next article? That's in the next article. Oh, God, I got one. so confused. No, you're absolutely what's, right. What's, what's, what I, um, what's interesting is, what the, of course, it doesn't tell you because it's The Guardian, but the, the, in many parts <laughs> Honestly, of the world, particularly... Don't, in the, don't wear your prejudices on your sleeve, well, love. In, in the do you know what I mean? world... <laughs> the amount of land that is wilderness or wild land is dramatically on the increase. Um, and, and particularly North America, Europe, and uh, in other parts of the world, basically wherever there's money, wilderness is growing. Ooh. And you, it's never reported in The Guardian. Right, we have 40 <laughs> seconds. Because The Guardian would not have you believe that the world's ending tomorrow and we must all go and live okay. in a bunker and stop capitalism and stop development altogether. Right, ladies and gents, that is all we have time for. Thank you very much to my... We've got time for one more story. I have it in my ear. Oh, yay! Um, what do you want right, to do? Let's do uh, robo-balls. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> OK, so the Ukraine forces... I'm sorry, I'm going to have to cut you off. We don't have time to... Oh! That is all we have time for. Thank you very much to my guests, Diane Spencer. Thank you to Simon. And thank you to you at home. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring. 